0: You're listening to the Physics Ed Podcast. For hundreds of ideas, free experiments and more, go to physicseducation.com.au. And now, here's your host, Ben Newsom.
1: Yes, welcome again for another Physics Ed Podcast. I'm glad to have you again for another chat around science and STEM, and no matter where you are on this planet... This is an important topic to consider. The Australian Institute for Disaster Resilience is an important national institute for disaster risk reduction and resilience. And today, we're hanging out with Owen Siebel, who is a senior project officer for the role of... well. Educating kids, the program that works with young people, working with educators, emergency services, community organizations, researchers and more to help our kids really develop their knowledge, skills and solutions for a disaster resilient future. And that's what Owen does. As a former teacher and a former police officer, he brings a whole bunch of knowledge into his role to help communities build their resilience and their ability to reduce risk. When it comes to disasters. So let's go hang out with Owen to learn a little bit more. This is the Physics
0: Ed Podcast. We're all about science, ed tech, and more. To see 100 fun free experiments you can do with your class, go to physicseducation.com.au. That's physics spelled F I Z Z I C S and click 100 free experiments.
2: Yeah, so my name's Owen um, and I work for an organisation called the Australian Institute for Disaster Resilience. And who we are, we are the a National um, Institute for Disaster Risk Reduction and Resilience. Um, so we're a non-for-profit, um, fully funded by the federal government, we work really closely with what is the new government organisation called the National uh, Recovery and Resilience Agency. And we work uh, around a range of different areas to um, develop a more resilient Australia. Um, and for me, my side of the work is I work with our Education for Young People program. So trying to get uh, disaster resilience education into schools, into community groups, um, into the hands and minds of, of young people any way I can. So that's me in sort of a work sense. Um, outside, of, outside of work, I'm a, a former uh, teacher and former police officer, actually. So I've sort of come from a bit of eclectic background, or as my mother will put it, I'll never get long service leave. <laughs> I bounce <laughs> Don't around. they
1: always say that? <laughs> uh
2: on plus many many more things i'm sure but um yeah so um yeah i come from a teaching background taught sort of in uh, uh urban melbourne um and out in the country as well for quite a few years uh, across sort of, uh, peter 12 schools um, and secondary schools primarily um and yeah i was a, was a police officer in victoria for for a few years as well um and when i'm not at work i try and get out of melbourne as much as possible i'm actually going to go camping this weekend which will be great
1: Oh, fantastic! Especially coming, mind you, it's coming to a hot summer. <laughs>
2: exactly, exactly. Although it's it's even an interesting summer actually. You, um, you know, it's looking like it's going to be a lot of sort of storm and floods that are sort of coming through with um, with it, and not as many fires touch wood.
1: Oh, gosh, doesn't that tie in well with what we we're about to talk about? Yeah, it <laughs> does. Idea. It does. So it's, it's curious though. I mean, uh, okay, so teacher, police officer, now disaster resilience. That's quite a trajectory. Yeah. what yeah, How did that come about?
2: So I. Um, when I finished my uh, arts degree, didn't have any idea what I was going to do. <laughs> like many, many arts students, I'm sure. Um, and I did teaching and, and loved it, did it for quite a while and um, taught down the coast in a, in a small school. And um, that's where I first started working in the wellbeing side of things. I Because it was a small school in a town of only a 1,000 people um, and a school that went from P to 12 and only had 250 kids. Um, obviously, uh, every teacher did 50 different jobs. Um, as many schools, small schools do. And I started working in the wellbeing side of things um, and ran the wellbeing programs in the school. And then um, had this little voice in the back of my head that said, oh, you've got to do something different. <laughs> so that's when I joined Victoria Police and worked there for a while, um, but left just because shift work was tough. You know, I have the utmost respect for anyone who can find that balance uh, in shift work life, but I, I never could. So I left and sort of was going, well, what do I want to do? and um, and an opportunity came up at, at the Australian of Disaster Resilience, working in, um, in this realm that sort of brought the two things together, um, between the emergency services experience that I had and the school's experience that I had. Um, and I sort of took it with both hands, really. Um, and that's how I ended up uh, here, at, uh, here at Ada.
1: That's fantastic. Uh, I, I, lo- I love those sliding door moments that you have mm. <laughs> in your career. It's really, really cool. Oh, I mean- definitely. Oh, absolutely. I mean, so I'm just curious though, so you, you're working in the education team, you, you're yeah. helping kids understand uh, disaster resilience. So uh, just out of interest, what do they picture disaster resilience to be? Do they even yeah. know it?
2: A young people or?
1: Young people, yeah.
2: Yeah, um, I think it's one of those things that's potentially in the back of the minds of young people, but not in the forefront of their minds, you know. Um, so for us, so disaster resilience education is about learning about natural hazards in the local environment and ways to keep communities safe from harm before, during, and after an emergency or disaster. Um, and so I guess if you break down what a disaster resilient young person is, they, they're able to recognise natural hazards in their local environment. Uh, they understand the sort of harmful impacts of those hazards on people and, and their local community. They can demonstrate strategies of staying safe, um, seeking help. Um, uh, they're able to share their learnings, participate in action following disasters. So. A lot of young people already have these um, abilities, but they're in the back of their mind. Um, so it's it's amazing to see when we um, when we're being involved in programs with young people how um, they engage with the content, looking at natural hazards, and they go, "Oh yeah, this makes sense, and I can do this, this, and this." And they, you know, there there is that you know inherent resilience in them. But it's it's about connecting it to natural hazards and disasters and how they can prepare to benefit themselves, their families, their communities.
1: Um, yeah. That's fantastic. I mean, there's a, there's a really a rich area that you can really dive right into. I mean, yeah, I'm like, okay. I'm a science educator. I'm thinking everything from climate change through to you know <laughs> uh, seismology, the whole thing. There's all different versions of uh, is a science that link towards disasters. I'm just kind of just thinking though from the students' end. With the so you said uh, the you know disasters in the back of their mind. Mm-hmm. Do you find that the students uh, do they have this sort of uh, almost superhuman power, I, I, this won't happen to me, it's so far off, no big deal. Uh, that's some other con- kid in another country. Okay. Yeah,
2: yeah, it, it does. It, it, people do have those, those thoughts. Um, and quite often it's that idea that, um, especially in say metropolitan areas that, um, and we'll use bushfires as an example, uh, bushfires don't impact me. You know, Why do I need to learn about this kind of thing? Um, but if we look back to the 2019, 2020 bushfires, um, which obviously heavily impacted the east coast of Australia. But the impacts on that went all the way across to Perth. You know, um, The logistics uh, infrastructure across Australia was so heavily impacted that people in Perth um, were impacted by the fires. So it's, it's really important for people understand that even though you may not necessarily live in um, a rural area, uh, again, when I'm just talking about um, bushfires where you may be impacted by them, um, Still, there's still going to be impacts that happen to people that don't live in that area. Um, Melbourne quite recently had really uh, extreme storms about three or four months ago, um, and uh, the east eastern suburbs of Melbourne were heavily impacted by that. Um, so it's really important for for young people and for everyone to understand that natural hazards occur. You know, there, there's there's no way to stop these hazards occurring, be like they storms, floods. Um, but we can become more resilient and be able to recover more quickly and be able to cope with them and mitigate the risk. And that's how we potentially avoid those disasters.
1: That's fantastic. So what, so what do you end up uh, teaching the students themselves during your programs?
2: So we work with a range of different organizations, government bodies from local through to federal. We work with the different emergency services across um, across the country. For example, we're based in Melbourne. So we work, with you know, Fire Rescue Victoria or the CFA here or QFES in Queensland or, um, Defairs in WA um, and we work with those organisations to try and get them to develop um, a, its oh, the right way of putting it, um, programs or um, practice that can really benefit schools. So we don't work directly with young people um, a lot of the time. We are trying to, I guess, influence change and we're trying to um, provide resources and share resources and share good practice through our networks um, and uh, enable teachers uh, who are working with young people or community educators who are working with young people um, to be able to implement disaster resilience education uh, into the schools and into their, into their workplaces.
1: So I'm curious, when, when's your disaster education, so to speak? Um, mm-hmm. what, what age would you start? Ah,
2: you can you start you can start from the the very start. Um, There's there's an amazing group up in Queensland, uh, the Queensland Centre for Perinatal Health. This I probably mucked up the name exactly. Perinatal. Yeah, yeah. And so um, they have this amazing resource called Birdie's Tree, um, which are a series of um, novels for pre-school age children, all about different natural hazards. between with floods, uh, cyclones, fires. They just recently put one out to do with COVID um, and it starts to teach these young children about about the hazards and about how they can stay safe during these natural hazards. Um, Even when we look at the Australian curriculum at the moment, there's areas within the curriculum from the very start at that foundation level um, at where we have prep here in Victoria and I think it's kindergarten in New South Wales, it's called. where you can be teaching young people um, these very simple things like about knowing how to call triple zero, um, even learning um, you know, learning their own address so they can tell someone in an emergency where they live. You know? so it's, at the very start, it's really important um, to get, at that, get started at that young age. But then there's a myriad of possibilities as well across Absolutely. the curriculum from foundation all the way through to sort of year 10 and then up into, up into years 11 and 12 as well.
1: Hundred percent. I mean, we run a uh, natural disasters workshop which focuses on you know the main disasters that we often think about in the syllabus from uh, so grade three through to ten. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's definitely links in there for sure. And uh, just bit of a heads up, if you're listening in, I mean, um, uh, just please check that your that your particular country, your particular emergency number, they are different. Of course, they actually are. Yeah. And actually, isn't, there, isn't there a uh, and, and actually, you can school me on this. I have no problem <laughs> at all. Um, isn't there an international one, it's like a 112 or something like that, that doesn't matter where you are, it still goes through?
2: There is. And I'm trying to remember what it is off the top of my head, but I can't remember it. Um, but a lot of countries are also set up so that um, if you say, I'll use the American example, dial 911 in Australia, it will divert to 000 here in Australia. Yeah, that's a good idea. Or um, what's the the British version? I think it's 999. Um, and it's the same thing again. It'll sort of, if you dial that number here in Australia, it'll, it'll transfer it across... Um,
1: Oh. I mean, uh, uh, yeah. it, does, it does feel like a, uh, a little factoid, but this factoid actually matters when you need it.
2: Oh, of course. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah.
1: That, that's just fantastic. So, all right. So we've got students. Uh, it sounds like predominantly, is it predominantly Eastern Australia or is it right across Australia?
2: Where disaster resilience education is being yes. implemented yeah. across Australia. So there's actually been a really great example that's come out of a school in WA quite recently, um, a school called Jinjin um, High School, um, which is sort of just to the north east of, of Perth. Um, so they had um, the idea of how do we integrate, um, uh, I say disaster resistance education is, is a big broad umbrella, but how, how can they get their um, students to start learning about um, ways that they can contribute to their local community uh, and to become a bit more resilient. And the idea of developing a um, cadetship came up um, whereby the young people in year 10 would, um, undertake the same training that the local um, fire and rescue volunteer units would take. And that way they would be qualified at the end of year 10 to go and join their local brigade. Um, and so they implemented a 16-week program for year 10 students and educate educates them about fire, safety, uh, firefighting, bushfire management, um, and it's mandatory as well. So they've really um, embedded it into that year 10 curriculum. Um, and they've had some great results You know, with uh, a lot of their students going on after you tend to join the local brigades so it's across across australia
1: um i love it when you look at uh, schools that really take a r- real you know two hands grab onto two hands of concept and take it there the thing yeah. is that the, that effectively means that the schools themselves are straight up leaders they are because other other teachers through their network through twitter or wherever will find mm-hmm. out about these programs and and will effectively start to emulate some of these you know, initial wins i mean that high school is fantastic I mean, have you seen this sort of um sporadically sort of spring up in different places based on the um, leaders of the schools?
2: Yeah, it is. It is. And um, it, it does down, come down a lot to do with the, as you say, the leaders in the schools, um, because currently um, disasters in education isn't in the Australian curriculum. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of spots in the curriculum where it is relevant um, from, as I said, from foundation through to year 10, um, but it's not mandated in there. There are some other countries where it is. Uh, Japan, for one, one example, has... Um, from the very start of schooling, that young people learn about uh, tsunamis and earthquakes every single year. So it's embedded into the curriculum. Um, whereas here it is, it's a little bit more connected to this, the individual school. Um, and some schools are really great and really proactive and other schools have um, reacted afterwards. So after the, the 2019, um, so 2009 fires, um, um was heavily impacted. It's a rural area of Victoria, just outside of Melbourne. Um, and then they, they brought in a great program afterwards to do with uh, young people engaging with the local CFA, um, doing daily bushfire um, risk assessments of, at the school as well. So, yeah, it is driven a lot by the schools, but we're hoping because there's a new curriculum coming out in 2022 in Australia, um, that maybe there'll be something that'll sort of uh, be mandated potentially.
1: I'd be curious to see. So, is it, um, I mean, like, do you work with other organizations like this around the globe? Because there's clearly a, a very big need for this.
2: There is. There is. Um, our mandate is working just in Australia, um, yeah. although we do have some connection um, with New Zealand because we run a professional network that. Anybody is welcome to join. It's called DRANSEN. It's called the Disaster Resilience Australia New Zealand Schools Education Network. And we run a series of forums um, throughout the year. We have a national forum. Then we have a teacher's forum, which sort of focuses on real-world examples where people can come and learn about how they can implement disaster resilience education to their schools. And we're launching a youth forum next year where young people can share their experiences um, and give, their, give, their, give a stage to their voice. Um, so we have a bit of work with New Zealand, but primarily... We do, um, we do just work within Australia, um, but we're always looking to sort of connect other people and share good practice. Um, at our national forum uh, in September, just gone, we had um, a presenter from a Japanese organisation called WANAVI, uh, which works with um, recent uh, immigrants in Japan to teach them about uh, tsunamis and about um, earthquakes, and it came out after the 2011 um, earthquake and tsunami that uh, we all know for um, it destroying Fukushima and the, the mm-hmm. nuclear disaster that occurred.
1: Yeah, I mean, I actually, my mind casts back to, I think it was 2004, the, the big tsunami through you know, Indonesia. Yes, yes. And yes. That, that was a big deal, I mean, hugely. And I was thinking about um, one of the stories is those as an Australian school kid had just completed a disaster program. Mm. At the, I think it was like year four or something like that. I can't remember exactly, but actually recognized the receding ocean Went, that's not normal. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and save their, saved their family, which is fantastic.
2: Yeah. And, you know, there are so many examples like that um, from, from around the world uh, where young people have recognized these things that they've learned in school um, and been able to act and, it, it's great when they learn about it in an all hazards approach, which is really important um, because as I said, you know, you may go on, you may not be impacted by tsunamis where you currently live, but if you go on holiday to an area that is potentially going to be impacted by them, you know, it, you need to be aware of these things. Um, but at the same time, it's also really important to learn about um, natural hazards that are contextually relevant for you. Um, I sort of take the example, like, you know, um, there's probably limited value in a young person learning about, you um, who lives in say cape york learning about uh avalanches um <laughs> yeah. compared to some someone who lives in the new south wales high country um or say threadbow for example because it had the avalanche
1: 20
2: like, yeah. something odd years ago um, there's probably limited reason for them to learn about cyclones uh, but uh, it's still important for them to have an idea about these things especially uh, when we're able to travel again
1: uh, yeah, hopefully absolutely. in the not too distant in- future and honestly, every single—I don't care what what we're teaching—if it what, what what's in it for me—is probably the biggest thing that matters yeah, for a student eventually. Exactly. Uh, it makes, it makes um,
2: sense. And we have like within disaster resilience blah, blah, got tongue tied there apologies within disaster resilience education there is sort of seven principles um, that we try to always promote, um, and one of those things is you know, place the learner at the centre. Um, is one of the first principles, you know, and that, that it comes down to what is in it for them, you know, how can they benefit their safety, their wellbeing, um, and also you're know, bringing obviously their perspectives and their skills into it. But yeah, you know, it's amazing how, how, much, uh, how great a level of engagement you can get from, um, from these students. There's a really great uh, quote that we had from a year six student who was um, involved in a program at a school in, in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. And they said, uh, we all learn differently and we have our own special interests and talents. When we can make decisions about our own learning and actions, we can achieve more than if we are just told what to do. I think that's a really great way of um, sort of uh, connecting with disaster resilience education. Um, And this great six student was like, yeah, if we can actually have some involvement in it, then I'm sure I'm probably preaching to the choir with a lot of teachers who are listening to this. um, And they would empathise with the fact that when the students are given that level of uh, control or decision-making, albeit scaffolded, the engagement is so much higher.
1: I just love it too that you're talking about a grade six student, but if you didn't say that, that could have been someone from the UN for all you know. <laughs>
2: exactly. <laughs> it was yeah. so
1: well said. Yeah,
2: exactly. Um, and it's, you know, you, you need to, to give these these young people this, that ability to, to flourish and to engage with it. And that grade five, grade six level is perfect for, for that, especially with disasters Seeds Education, because young people are at that stage where they're developing those Higher problem-solving skills and those conceptual skills, and they're sort of, they're becoming passionate about different topics, and they haven't reached that point in high school where they may have a few more, um, uh, where they may be a bit more concerned about sort of sticking their neck out. Um, so it's great to sort of you know that five, six level. There's so many ways in which um, disaster resilience education can really um, be used to engage students.
1: No, that's fantastic. So actually, so that really comes around to the point. So if I've got a bunch of students in front of me and I didn't know how to even remotely start uh, disaster resilience in education, is it the seven principles that you start thinking about? Like, what are the first steps in, in grabbing a, a group of students' attention and then, yeah, uh, you know, really equipping them with knowing what to do?
2: Yeah, um, I guess I'll I'll quickly li- I'll quickly list off the seven principles. But I think um, the second one of those seven is probably the most important one. So the seven principles are place the learner at the centre, which I've already mentioned, reflect the local context, uh, be inclusive, establish and strengthen partnerships, engage and challenge learners, focus on action, and build capacity. So if you're a teacher who has never taught um, uh, a topic about natural hazards, um, don't be afraid. That's the first thing I say. Do not be concerned um, that you're going to do something wrong. There's so many resources out there and I can, I can go into those in more detail, um, but you're not, gonna, you're not gonna do harm. I think there's a lot, of, a lot of teachers who are concerned that, oh, I haven't taught this before. I don't wanna sort of traumatize the young people that I'm teaching by talking about bushfires or floods or earthquakes and the impacts of them. Because the vast majority of the time, these young people, their imagination of what this event might be is gonna be far worse than reality. So first step, don't be afraid. Go into it, um, jump into it, dive into it. Um, but the first step is that second principle, reflect the local context. Take time to understand local history, hazard impacts, um, disaster risk in the area, and lived experience of the community. So, you know, look back into previous, <coughs> excuse me, into previous events that have occurred in the area um, and see where you might be able to link in. sort of look back on my own history as a teacher, um, when I moved down the, the surf coast in Victoria, back in 2016, it was just after the bushfires went through and the Y River area and the school that I was teaching in was impacted by those bushfires. Um, and although I moved down there just after the fires had happened, it was obviously very fresh in the minds of the local community um, and of the students. And so when we started doing some work around those things, you we know, there was that lived experience by the community that we needed to tap into and to engage with and to acknowledge um, and to be able to understand. So that's, that, that's that first step. Um, and then the second step, um, without just doing a, a shameless plug, is jump onto our website, um, which is schools.ada.org.au because there are so many resources out there. There's an amazing array of resources that have been put together, not necessarily by us. We do we have put some together, but by so many different agencies within different jurisdictions. Um, between your, you know, Fire Rescue, New South Wales has some great stuff. Um, CFA here in Victoria has some great stuff. Tasmania developed some awesome resources called um disaster resilience um, and it's been adopted by other jurisdictions so there's so many resources out there Um, and it's also not going to make your life harder it's not going to give you more work Uh, it's just sort of a shift in focus so there's a myriad of cross-curricular pathways for disaster resilience education Um, it connects in with obviously science connects in with um, humanities through geography and civics and citizenship there's areas for health and physical education that align with it Um, and there's been some great examples of schools um, developing STEAM, so it's sort of the, science, the standard STEM, science, technology, education, maths, but adding art in there as well, as uh, around the recovery phase. So um, my best, my advice would be, jump in with two feet, look at the local in, local community that you are with, engage with the local community, um, and go and hunt for resources because they're all out there. And it's going to make your life a hell of a lot easier, especially for new teachers too.
1: That's fantastic, and then, yeah, absolutely. And I like, like the fact that, um, I mean, your background, I mean, uh, English and humanities. I mean, yeah, be, be human. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually, we're humans in a living environment, and it exactly. does stuff to us. It every now and
2: then. It does. And you know, I think that's you know that, that point you make is, is really important. We are living in the environment. There's a there's a point which we make across the organisation um, at Ada, and it's shifting within. Um, the realm of disaster risk reduction too, is that there is no such thing as a natural disaster. Disasters are not natural, they are man-made, because people have built in certain areas or um, have uh, mismanaged certain environments. There are natural hazards, of course, and as I said earlier, we can't stop these natural hazards. But through disaster resilience education and through disaster risk reduction practices, we can mitigate the impact of those hazards so that they don't potentially lead to a disaster.
1: Yeah, we, we um, it's not, not quite exactly what you're talking about, but in some ways similar, we work heavily with the uh, National Roads and Motoring Association running mm-hmm. um, road safety science programs. And one of the things very clearly to say to kids is there's no such thing as a car accident. No. Because there was an incident. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and and something's, something's caused it. <laughs>
2: Of course. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And you know, I sort of, I think back to my, my time as a, as a, as a police officer as well. Yeah. It was never referred to as a car accident because there was obviously something that has contributed to this incident yeah. uh, and it's, it's the same for, for natural hazards uh, creating disasters because there is something that has contributed to that um, and meant that the the hazard that is, is natural has uh, unfortunately turned into a disaster.
1: That's it. And, 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 and as a, personally, as a science educator, it's one thing to know the theory of what, causes some of these things the reality is that it then impacts people and so we've got to think broader than just the science theory
2: it does and and young people want to learn about this too as well like we conducted a survey uh, between 2019 and 2020 called the our world our say report and so it was in partnership um, with a range of different organizations here in australia and it's the largest ever survey of young people on climate related hazards we surveyed uh 1447 don't ask me how I can remember the exact number but it's ingrained um, of young people aged between 10 and 24 and asking questions about uh, natural hazards and climate change and their specific concerns and we had something like 88 percent of people thought they should learn more about natural hazards and how to reduce them Um, high 70s reported being very concerned about climate change about 90 percent of young people said that they'd lived through at least one natural hazard event um, and 60% believe that natural disasters, uh, so disasters, were occurring more frequently. Um, so young people don't only uh, want to learn about it; um, they acknowledge that this is a major issue. Um, and it was really great. We, from those surveys, we took just under a thousand of those participants wrote personal messages to the government, um, reflecting their views, um, and we were able to present those to the then minister. Um, David Littleproud, um, who was then the Minister for uh, Emergency Management. Um, and we had a panel of young people who were able to speak to to speak to him um, via, via a Zoom webinar, which was really great to see them engaging with um, the powers that be.
1: This is fantastic. I love the impact that people are making and you are definitely one of them. And not, not just you, the entire organisation, you do a really good job.
2: Yeah, there's some great, there's some amazing work that's been done out of it um, in the realm. You know, obviously there's the United Nations with their disaster risk reduction area, but then we've got organizations like Save the Children are doing great work. Red Cross does some amazing work. Um, Royal Far West in New South Wales does some awesome stuff. Um, there's there's too many to list. There's so many. And all the different emergency service agencies are really um, evolving in the way in which they work, you know, and a lot of. Somewhat gone are the days of the fire brigade turning up and switching on the hose and saying, "Make sure you check your smoke smoke alarm for batteries." although very important. Make sure you check your smoke alarms' for batteries. Um, yes. But you know they they recognise themselves now as the the content experts on these specific hazards, but they are not the the experts at teaching. Teachers are. So they're providing these resources, providing these supports to teachers to then take it and run with it, um, and they'll be supported through their local. Uh, brigades their local SES divisions but it's the teachers that have that ability to really get into the classroom
1: and that's really why um, external enrichment it really has to be done in partnership directly with a teacher in the classroom 100 100 and led by the teacher in the classroom because it's their class not the it external is. enrichment provider it is
2: they un- they understand who the, the, the students are they understand the, the diverse needs of their class um, they understand how to engage their class um, that that external provider can provide that expertise um, but not um they're not the be all and the end all
1: oh, look, oh, this has been fantastic chat hey um if you're listening you are oh my gosh there's all these things i could go check out definitely check the show notes we'll have all the different links different places um and definitely let's take those first steps let's, let's get these kids armed and resilient yeah completely
2: agree with you ben um jump on any of your local agencies websites there's always gonna be a section that has connections to young people um By all means, come and have a look at at our website. There are links through to different resources across all different uh, domains. There are links to specific jurisdictions within Australia and some overseas. Um, And we've just uploaded some awesome resources um, put together by an organization called Australians Together, which develop Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander perspective resources. Um, So great great stuff there um, that you can include uh, into your classroom.
1: This is fantastic. So um, thanks for hanging out on this podcast. And hey, I hope you have a fantastic camping trip and hopefully no disasters, right?
2: Thank you so much. No, it looks like it's going to be clear skies and 20 degrees. Um, So I will be enjoying a couple of days away very much. (laughs) Enjoy. Thanks, Ben. You're listening
0: to the Physics Ed Podcast. Why don't you book us for a science show or workshop in your school? We love seeing students get excited about science and you will too. Go to physicseducation.com.au and click on schools for more info.
1: So there we go. We just hung out with Owen Siebel, who is a senior project officer for the Australian Institute for Disaster Resilience. So you might want to find out a little bit more. So their website go to schools.aidr.org.au so schools.aidr.org.au and you can find out all about their teaching resources and so much more and by the way it's very much important to really get your kids into understanding that disasters sadly are a real thing But getting them prepared for this, getting that resilience up and their understanding will reduce their fear and allow them to actually, well, potentially get through a very difficult situation, especially when you arm them with some knowledge. Hey, knowledge is a powerful thing. So anyway, definitely reach out to Owen Siebel. I really hope that you can get involved with the Australian Institute for Disaster Resilience. So anyway, this is the end of this particular podcast. And yet again, we've got more things coming up throughout the year. Uh, when it comes to science educators and all sorts of different people who are making a difference with our schools and more. So uh, thanks very much for listening. you listen to me, Ben Newsom from Physics Education. This is the Physics Ed Podcast, and I'll catch you another time.
0: You've been listening to another Physics Ed Podcast. We're excited about science. Subscribe to us on iTunes to download the next episode as soon as it's released. And don't forget, for hundreds of ideas, free experiments, our new Be Amazing book and more, go to physicseducation.com.au. That's physics spelt F-I-Z-Z-I-C-S. This podcast is part of the Australian Educators Online Network. A-E-O-N.net.au